Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about the last message in the series, Restore, Rebuild, and Rededicate. We've talked about the fact that Nehemiah was called by God when he was hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem, serving the king of Babylon, to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. We mentioned the fact that his group was actually the third group that returned from captivity back to Jerusalem. Ezra had led a group to rebuild the temple. And we saw that that work was being completed when Nehemiah heard the condition of the walls around the city. And without the walls, there was no safety, there was no security, there was no shelter within the city. Its enemies could at any time overrun it. And because there were no walls, it was sparsely inhabited. Many of the people who had lived there had moved out into the countryside, built their homes there rather than residing in the city of Jerusalem. When you read the story of Nehemiah, you'll find that God put it in his heart to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. I want you to hear that phrase. God put it in his heart. It's in Nehemiah chapter 2. To go and do it. Sometimes when God puts something in our heart, we willingly obey. And sometimes we reluctantly obey. And sometimes we just flat out disobey. But I've come to tell you this morning, when God speaks something into your heart, if you choose to remain in fellowship with him, you need to obey him. You need to do what he's asking you to do. Regardless of how impossible the task may seem, you need to obey him. When you read Nehemiah, it says in chapter 4 that they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days. That is nothing but a miracle. You realize the walls were two and a half miles of walls that surrounded Jerusalem. They were 20 to 25 foot thick and 25 to 30 foot high. Plus it was covered in rubble. They had to clear the rubble from the walls where they had been destroyed and then begin the process of rebuilding. And they did it in 52 days. There were those that opposed them. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 4, Samballat, Tobiah, and others that said, if you rebuild the walls, a fox running on them will knock them down. They opposed it completely. But they continued to work, so much so that when the threat of the enemy became real, they worked with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. They were ready to work and to fight. If there's one thing that's missing in the church today, it's the mentality, I'm going to work and I'm going to fight. Because listen, when you set your hand to do the work of God, there will be opposition. The enemy will come against you, so you better have the sword ready to fight. You better be ready and prepared to confront him and defeat him in those days. 52 days, it's amazing. You want to know how amazing it is? During the time of the Ottoman Empire, they also occupied Jerusalem. And they chose to rebuild the walls as well. Do you know how long it took them to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem? Four years. Four years, but Nehemiah did it in 52 days. It's nothing short of a miracle. It's it's unbelievable when you see this, but it happened because God put it in his heart. And he went to Jerusalem to find a way to restore, rebuild the walls. 
And then we move to Nehemiah chapter 12, where we're at today, and Nehemiah chose to rededicate the wall to God. To rededicate means to completely and wholeheartedly, with wholehearted fidelity, pardon me, bind yourself spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally to a course of action. Look at verse 27 in Nehemiah chapter 12. It says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. I want you to remember that and notice they sought out the Levites. Who were the Levites? They were ones that were supposed to be serving in the temple, living in the city, surround the temple. But where were they? They were out in the countryside. They weren't in the right place to do the right thing. Somebody needs to hear me this morning. You need to make sure you get yourself in the right place so God can use you to do the right thing. Nehemiah was hundreds of miles away, but God cleared the path and made the way, gave him a military escort to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. It's an amazing story of the miraculous hand of God. And when I read the book of Nehemiah, you know what it tells me? <clears throat> it tells me I should never judge God by my circumstances. Yet how often do we do that? How often do we say, well, if he was faithful, if he was real, if he cared, if he loved me, things would be changing. Rather, when we read the book of Nehemiah, we learn to look at our circumstances through the eyes of God. Someone needs to hear me this morning because you are questioning, you are wondering, where is God in the middle of my mess? Stop looking at the mess, put your eyes on God, and he will bring clarity to your life. He'll bring direction to your hearts. Let God interpret your situation in the light of eternity rather than the light of today. When you read the book of Nehemiah chapter 12, it says the people were happy because their eyes were on the Lord. May I tell you that any time I've taken my eyes off the Lord and looked at my circumstance, I become disgruntled. I become confused. I become depressed. I become disturbed. It's not a good place to live, not a good place to be. And if you're honest, you will say the same thing. But when we focus our attention upon the Lord, when we begin to sing, how great is our God? How great is our God? There is no other name given under heaven. When we begin to focus on him, suddenly all that stuff passes away and joy fills our hearts. The Bible says they were filled with joy because they were focused on the Lord. The people of Judah that lived, a few of them in Jerusalem, most of them out in the countryside, were a part of that restoration and rebuilding. And now it's time to dedicate this wall. Because once again, Jerusalem is secure. Jerusalem is walled. The gates are in place. The enemies cannot so easily come against them. So they begin to dedicate the law. Now I want you to notice in Nehemiah chapter 8, I don't think this is on the slide, so it's not there, but you can write it down and remember it. Both chapters 8 and chapter 9 tell about them reading from the book of the law. And how the people stood there and they worshiped and they wept because they were hearing the word of the Lord. And then the Bible tells me they were purified. 
You see, if we're going to rededicate anything, we first have to have an act of purification. There is a lot of filthiness that comes into our lives. There's a lot of things that we take in simply because we're living this day and this age that have no place in the heart of a child of God. There's a lot of negative thinking. There's a lot of things that will do nothing but destroy you that we allow into our lives and it diminishes and steals a relationship with God. So the first thing they had to do and the first thing we have to do is an act of purification. Ask God to purify our hearts. Look at Nehemiah 12, verse 30. The priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. When I realized that they first read the book of the law, and then they purified themselves, it takes me directly to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which says the word of God is quick and sharp and more powerful than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder the bone and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thought and the intents of the heart. Listen, folks, if you will get into this word every day, he will purify you daily. He will cleanse you daily. He will wash you daily. The word is a great purifier, but if the only time we open that book, whether it's a Bible like mine or on your device, is when we walk into church on Sunday morning, we will be contaminated all the time. It won't, it's not something you actually seek out, although some do. It just happens because you're in this world. And we need the word to wash us and to cleanse us and renew us every single day. They purified themselves and the people and the wall and the gates. What does that mean exactly? What does purification look like? I believe it means removing everything or anything from your life that is between you and God. Everything or anything that is between you and God. Sometimes, folks, that's a relationship. Sometimes, folks, that's a desire for wealth or accumulation of money. Sometimes it's your plans that you think are going to work out. Sometimes it's your past that has haunted you. You can never get beyond and never lay it to rest. Removing anything that is between you and God. Remember this. The number one thing that will wreck your life with God is an illicit relationship. A relationship that he didn't ordain, that you sought out, that you caused to be consummated, and it is destroying your life. I'm not talking about marriage, but I'm talking about relationships outside of that union. When you and I willingly, knowingly seek out and develop relationship with people that are not godly, that don't love Jesus, that don't believe the word of God, that don't live according to the word of God, when we bind ourselves to them, we are asking for destruction. When you bind yourself to them, you're accepting and taking into yourself every spirit that they carry. Every demon that is driving them begins to drive you. Do you hear me today? It's time to purify our hearts. Smith Wigglesworth said, A true Christian desires to be free. A few true Christian desires to be free from sin, not to be able to to sin freely. 
You know, we have so perverted the grace of God in this day and in this age. It's come to the point where it's, it's just do anything you want to do when you want to do it. That is not the grace of God. Listen to me. The grace of God frees you from sin and then gives you power to live above sin. The grace of God does not open the door for you to do what you want, when you want, where you want, with who you want, when it's against God's word. Rather, it gives you power to live higher. We need to understand true grace, not cheap grace. Cheap grace will send you to hell. Oh, I can't believe you just said that. Well, listen, cheap grace will send you to hell. We need a grace that saves and cleanses and purifies by the blood of Jesus Christ and a grace that sustains and empowers and enables us to live above the cares of this life and the sins which so do easily beset us. Unfortunately, many in that modern Christian world try to live as close to the edge of hell as they can, even feeling the fire and the flame, smelling the brimstone, but doing what they want, when they want, where they want, how they want, thinking, I'm going to go to heaven. I've got news for you today. Until there is an act of purification in hearts and in lives, that door will not be open. We need to understand that Jesus wants us not to live as close to hell as we can, but as close to heaven as we can. That his glory will fill us. That his honor will flow through us. That his integrity becomes our integrity. That his grace and his mercy and his love ooze out of every pore in our life and in our body. So that people know there's something different about that person. Galatians 5.1, Paul wrote to the Galatian church. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Amen. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you hear it? He didn't give you grace to be saved so you can remain in the pig pen, so that you can struggle in the mire. He gave you grace to be saved so he could raise you up and make you sit with him together in heavenly places with God. Hallelujah. Grace. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul, I mean, Paul, Paul tears this stuff up. I was told a little while ago, a few months ago, actually, there are actually churches in America and around the world that refuse to preach or teach from Paul's writings because of the things he said about slavery. Can I tell you that's about as stupid as it comes? Because Paul talks about freedom in Christ, not making you a slave. He sets you free. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What do I want you to see? I want you to see that first verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Purification requires that we humble ourselves to God and let God then raise us up. James chapter 4, verses 5 through 8, it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again and again and again, both the Old and the New Testament tell us purification is necessary. We have got to come to the place where we constantly allow him to wash us in the water of his word by the blood of Jesus Christ, cleansing us again and again and again and again. Listen to me. Purification is required for celebration. And you cannot celebrate what God is doing with the hypocritical hearts. God does not use dirty vessels. Holiness always precedes happiness. We have to know that. And listen, you can't fake a clean heart before God. He sees, he knows. He knows who you are, where you are. And if you're ever going to do anything significant for the kingdom, you must be purified. So how do Christians purify themselves today? Well, it's not through rituals. It's not through cutting ourselves and letting the blood run. But in foreign countries where people out of acts of religious duty would crawl on their knees through gravel and stones for miles hoping to gain the attention of the Father. Where they did all sorts of crazy things trying to gain the attention of the Father. We don't do that as believers. But rather, we believe if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to catch it, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's 1 John 1, 9. When we confess our sins to God and believe they're under the blood of Jesus Christ, He purifies us. A church can't do it. Your mama can't do it. Your grandma can't do it. It requires the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I just quoted 1 John 1, 9 several years ago. There was a guy who heard me quote that in the church, and he said, that doesn't apply to believers. That applies to sinners. I said, really? Yeah. Have you ever read the entirety of 1 John? What do you mean? Well, read it, because it talks about those of us who are in the church, the body of Christ, who are being called out, purified, and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hebrews 9, 14 says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Hebrews 10, 10 says, By that we will... By that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once for all. Purification only comes through Jesus. It only comes through his blood. There's no other way to find it or receive it. When you read Nehemiah 12, you see a picture of hundreds of singers, hundreds of musicians gathering in Jerusalem, getting ready to dedicate that wall and to celebrate God's faithfulness. 
they first purified themselves before they could celebrate. I was wondering this morning as I was thinking about this message, you remember old Sanballat and Tobiah from chapters 2 through 4, the enemies facing Nehemiah? They said, your wall is so weak that if a fox runs on it, it's going to knock it down. And now the walls are built. The walls are strong. The gates are hung. The city is secure. I wonder what Otobi's thinking about right now. How's that working for you? Isn't it time that you said to the devil, how's that working for you? Because my God is greater. My God is bigger. My God is able. Purification number two, consecration or sanctification. You can read it in Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10. Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 2 and 3 says this. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place. They read from the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth of the day and another fourth they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. I want you to notice in that first verse, they separated themselves. They separated themselves. Consecration is an act of separation. Now we entertain way too many things in our life that should never be there. We see what's happening across America that pornography is actually rampant. It's a dilemma. It's a plague that's destroying homes and families and lives. I'm calling you men and women in this house online, separate yourselves from it. You say, well, I can't. Are you kidding me? I already gave you the answer in James. Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't give me that old sad excuse, well, I have to. That's a bunch of nonsense. Another plague sweeping our nation is alcohol. You know, we really come down heavy on illegal drugs, but we overlook the legal drug. Folks, I'm calling you to separation. You don't need it. It distorts your relationship with the living God. It clouds your mind and covers your spirit and is a portal for the enemy to come in. I'm calling you to separation. Love the way you're shouting now. You know, you should have learned by now that my affirmation doesn't come from you. My affirmation comes from saying what God told me to say and obeying him. So it doesn't matter to me if you shout the house down or if you're quiet as a church mouse. I'm going to keep preaching what God gave me to preach until you run me out. It's just that simple. I told you a couple weeks ago, I am responsible for your eternal soul. And it's a responsibility that I don't take lightly. So I'm not going to play games. I'm not going to sugarcoat the truth. I'm not going to wash things over and say, oh, you're going to be okay. I'm going to give you the word and the word will set you free. When they consecrated themselves to the Lord, they were reminded that God had not forgotten his covenant. I go right back to it. Some of you say, where's God? Maybe you need to come back and consecrate your life to him. Separate some things from you. Walk away from them. Deny them. Refuse them. And then you'll remember God didn't forget his covenant. He didn't forget his promises to you. 
The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is still living and moving in our lives today. You can read it in Nehemiah 8, the first time they read the law. The priest charged the people, don't weep, don't mourn, but celebrate, rejoice. You see, when we purify our lives and then we sanctify our lives, we separate from everything displeasing to Him. It brings great joy into our spirits. It's not drudgery. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It causes us to rejoice. That's why, and I'm going to quote him again. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Be ye not transformed to the, by this, be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Do not be conformed. You can read it in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who have not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. Oh, somebody ought to shout, thank you, Jesus, if you identify with those words. See, when we sanctify ourselves, we put behind us all of our failures, all of our heartaches, all of our losses, and we leave them there. We separate our lives from what once happened, and we look forward to what's going to happen through God. Never forget, if not for His grace, if not for His mercies, if not for His compassions, we would be consumed. But thank God for His mercy. Thank God His compassion is renewed every morning. Thank God the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. He desires to uphold us and strengthen us. I love the song they sang in worship this morning. I'm covered, covered by grace. And it's a grace that saves, it's a grace that preserves, it's a grace that empowers, it's a grace that emboldens. Oh, come on, somebody. No more cheap grace in the house. We're covered by grace that moves us forward. The old and the new can't go together. What did Jesus say? He said, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. If you do, you're going to lose them both. Some of you need to let the past die. Bury it in an unmarked grave. Don't go back and revisit those wounds and the hurts ever again. Let it be gone. And when you do, He turns your mourning into dancing. He turns your sorrow into joy. He turns your night into day. We should celebrate His faithfulness over our lives. Tom, would you come back? In order to rededicate our lives. We have to be purified. We have to be sanctified. Number three, we have to learn to celebrate. I said we have to learn to celebrate. Nehemiah chapter 12 verse 31 says this, So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall, on top of the wall, and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. One went to the right hand on the wall, And the other Thanksgiving choir 
went the opposite way. I was behind them with half of the people on the wall going past the tower of the ovens as far as the broad wall. So the two thanksgiving choirs stood in the house of God. Likewise, I and half the rulers with me and the singers sang loudly. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them with rejoice with great joy. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. We've got to learn to rejoice. When God does something in our life, we've got to learn to rejoice. When I look at Olivia, I've got to rejoice. When I realize he spared me from three months of pain and agony, I've got to rejoice. When I look at Norma Brown, I've got to rejoice. Oh, come on, folks. When we purify and when we sanctify, it leads us to greater joy. Greater joy. And we begin to rejoice. Nehemiah took those folks. He said, half of you go one way, half of you go the other, and we're going to meet at the house of God. And we're going to be singing all the way. We're going to be rejoicing all the way. We're going to be celebrating all the way because look what the Lord has done. Oh, just picture it. Hundreds of singers, instruments of all kinds, Thousands of people converging on the temple, the house of God, for one reason, and that's to celebrate, and that's to rejoice. Some ask, why do we sing Spanish songs? Because I like them. God enabled me to build 27 churches in Mexico. A Bible school in Latin America, in Colombia. A church in Colombia. An outreach in Peru and Chile. Around the world and other places he has used me. But I can tell you, every time I want to hear worship, I want to go back to Latin America. Because in every one of those churches we built, we took the biggest sound system I could buy. We set it on the platform and we cranked it up as loud as it would go. Not for the people in the church, but for the people outside the church who needed to hear the church of Jesus Christ celebrating and rejoicing for all that God had done. Stand your feet with me today. Come on, Tom, sing it out. He is my cornerstone. You made it to the end of the message and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.